So I kind of already know the answer to this question, but are you one of the many, many people who occasionally confuses Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton? Yes, absolutely. You did, you did earlier today. <laughs> I was like, what's that really stupid thing I said about Bill Pullman? And you mean Bill Paxton? It was Bill Paxton. Yeah, when yeah. you claimed that Sam Neill was a rich man's version of Bill Paxton, even That's though right. they are completely different. That was back in our Event Horizon episode. We took that one out for a while back. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I get my bills confused. I think that's fair. There's a lot of them out there. I don't think it's fair. Bill Paxton has, what's a reasonable number, a thousand percent more charisma than Bill Pullman? <laughs> so you were not happy about the leading man of our movie today is what you're saying? I was not. That'll come, that'll be made very clear <laughs> as we go through it. Uh, welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And today we are discussing The Serpent and the Rainbow. A late 80s Wes Craven movie that, to me, feels not at all like a Wes Craven movie. I mean, I think there are chunks of Wes Craven in here. You can see some of his craft uh, appear in this thing, but it is not what I would consider a traditional horror movie, that's for sure. No, definitely not. And starring not Bill Paxton. Damn. No, you know what? I, You know I love Paxton, but as much as it pains me to say it, I'm not sure putting him in this makes it a better movie. No, I was wondering who would do a better job in this role. I don't know. Paxton would be a more unintentionally funny movie. Yeah, I think. He, would, he would go further with a lot of his like expressions and sort of reactions to all the things that are happening here. Don't bury me, man. I'm not dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he couldn't perv out. Yeah, he just can't be a perv. So, Oh, I mean, you have a couple moments in here to perv out. Yeah. Theoretically. Okay. What even happens in this movie? Is any of this real? Oh, you think it's all a hallucination? Yeah, part of me thinks like 99% of this is just a Bill Pullman hallucination. <laughs> I don't think so. I think there's a lot of hallucinations in here. And sometimes it's challenging to figure out what part is a uh, dream sequence and which part is happening in real life. But uh, I think that we can sort of piece together what's going. I have faith in you. You're going to be able to communicate to our audience what this was about. Hey, don't put it all on me, man. We have to both uh, fucking get our way through this. Well, thankfully, we're going to have a beer that helps us get our way through this. Yeah, actually, the whole reason that we are watching this fucking movie and talking about this movie is because we got a request from one of our Instagram followers at what opened today. They've got something pretty cool going here. Basically what they do is they show and kind of celebrate movies that were released on this day in the calendar. So basically like years gone by, like on this date, what was released, they'll throw something up there for everyone to kind of see. And that's kind of cool, man. Nice little walk down memory lane. Um, And so uh I, they only share one movie each day and then like come back to it again the following year. Yeah, a little kind of write up, little summary of it. And then, you know, I think they kind of uh, vary it. So, like this year, whatever they put down for like, you know, fucking uh, April 10th, next year might be something different. But yeah, just a little on this date in cinematic history, which for a cinema guy like me, fucking movie buff, love that shit. Always yeah. fun to look back. That's really cool. That's a neat concept. Definitely go check out uh, what opened today on Instagram. That's awesome. For sure. And uh, they actually requested the beer, not the movie. This is kind of the opposite of what we normally get. They requested that we drink today's beer, which I am not pleased about because it's an IPA. But what are we drinking today? We're going to be drinking a Voodoo Ranger IPA from the New Belgium Brew Company. Now, I've had this before. It's pretty uh, easy to find, actually, which was good for us. Yeah, it's it's very well known. I think it's got a very, um, I think it's very well regarded in the beer community, particularly in the United States, but it's made its way up to us in Canada here. 
Um, so this is by New Belgium. They're out of Colorado originally. Oh, big craft beer scene in Colorado, big, right? Big, big craft beer scene. It was started by a couple. They actually went for a like bike trip through Belgium itself. And that was like late 80s. And what they brought back with them was sort of like a passion for that style of beer. So their goal was to bring that to Colorado. Early stuff inspired by the kind of stuff you would find in Belgium. But this, I think, is one of their better known ones. It's interesting because it actually says Steam Whistle Brewing Co. on our can. So oh, maybe they've got a like Canadian like distribution or something? Yeah, I think they have someone oh. brewing and distributing it in this, Canada. This is not the true American version then. No, I ah. assume they use the same uh, ingredients when brewing it, but I wonder if there's any difference or taste. I'm not sure. I bet it'll be pretty similar. I'm excited, though. It's supposed to be sort of a tropical and juicy, aromatic, fruity IPA. You know, every time you describe an IPA that way, my brain gets kind of tricked. It's like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Tropical, fruity, juicy. And it's never, I never enjoy it. (laughs) I don't know. There's some. I've heard there's over the time we've been doing this, you've gotten uh, more appreciation for the IPAs. you got to go in with an open mind today. But I've been denying it for fucking like 89 episodes now, (laughs) and I continue to deny it. I don't think it's true. Well, it's made with mosaic and amarillo hops, which are both delicious. And it says on the can that it's perfectly bitter and refreshing so i'm looking forward to that nice balance but that seems contradictory to me it doesn't make sense how can it be bitter and refreshing i don't know it'll be good apparently they have an imperial and a juicy haze version of this too which would oh, be fuck i'm glad we didn't get into one of those <laughs> i think this one's probably more your uh speed so i'm looking forward to it but they tell us not to take ourselves too seriously while drinking it so it's perfect for our podcast well there you go and thank you uh what opened today for this suggestion we appreciate you checking us out and uh we're happy to oblige yeah happy Happy to drink this. Also, wouldn't have found this movie, I don't think, if we hadn't have had a beer request that sent us in the direction of voodoo. No, you know, I googled voodoo movies, and I had a couple of ideas right off the bat. For a second, I thought about us doing Live and Let Die, the James Bond uh, black exploitation one, where Roger Moore travels to like I think like New Orleans or something, and he has to like it's got heavy black exploitation influences, and as you can imagine, with Roger Moore in there, it's a little problematic. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I saw this and I thought, you know, I never heard of it before, had no idea it was a thing. Wes Craven is a, f- a, a popular choice for both of us. So I'm like, let's fucking check it out. Yeah. And uh, we're going to tell you all about it. We let's sure get are. the beer first. Absolutely. Much like we did the other week for Highlander, we open with text telling us that in the legends of voodoo, the serpent is a symbol of earth. The rainbow is a symbol of heaven, and between the two, all creatures must live and die. But because he has a soul, man can be trapped in a terrible place where death is only the beginning. Sadly, this does not come with a Sean Connery voiceover, but it does come with the addendum that the following is inspired by a true story. You know, as opposed to Highlander. (laughs) Yeah, a little different than Highlander here. This is interesting, right? We're getting like quite the metaphor here. Um, and a lot of talk about getting trapped in a horrible place. It turns out that place is a soul jar. And we'll find out more about <laughs> yeah. that, I guess, as we go through. There was not a lot of rainbow talk here. Not a ton of heaven talk in this. We found out later that this movie was originally incredibly long. So maybe they've cut a bunch of that aspect out of it. Maybe, yeah. Apparently Wes Craven's original cut of this was like fucking three hours. And he had to dial it back for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, there's not too many three-hour movies, uh, I think, back then. But in general, right? You don't get too many that reach that point. So he wasn't he, making the fucking Godfather here. Let's yeah, face it. No. Uh, so we we faded in a busy port city with people working, children running through the streets, and a few guys putting the finishing touches on a coffin 
Now, they end up loading it onto a boat, and as they leave, everyone rushes over to watch them. So clearly something's going on here. From there, we suddenly jump ahead to the night, where we see the same coffin being paraded through the streets in some kind of festival or celebration. A terrifying celebration, where a guy dressed kind of like Baron Samdi from fucking James Bond, Live and Let Die, jumps out with a torch, lights a coffin on fire, and eventually fires a gun into the air. Good times. Yeah, this is interesting, right? Because culturally, I don't understand the context i know that sometimes there are celebrations with the coffin and people are taken through towns as a way to celebrate the life but the person dressed up in clear kind of voodoo garb and holding the gun has a like a pretty significant impact and then they light the top of the coffin on fire you're right and you're like holy crap things are escalating quickly here what's what's happening and who is the person in here is what i'm asking at this point yeah we don't really know although from there we head inside a local doctor's office i guess where a body, and I'm not sure if it's the same one, is being poked and prodded with needles. He sure seems dead, and we even see a funeral being held from the next day. But as his body gets lowered into the ground, we see in the coffin, and what appears to be a tear is rolling down his face. Dead? Not dead? What do you think? Not dead, apparently, right? And even more than that, it seems like he's kind of been awake through this experience, gone through the, like, needle to the face, being buried alive, and... Is starting to wake up here. We get the eyes open. We get that one single tear. Pretty artsy right here. This is uh, pretty dramatic. I wonder what did this guy do to deserve to be buried alive and how were the doctors tricked into thinking he was dead? Oh, we're going to get answers to that later. But first, it's time to meet our main character, Dr. Dennis Allen, who is played by someone who has all the charisma of a dead man. It's Bill Pullman, who we (laughs) gather is on some sort of expedition. Oh man, poor Bill Pullman! Like, what, what did a he fucking do to stiff! You? <laughs> he is just so fucking bland. He is the vanilla ice cream of people. He does not bring a ton of charisma to this role, but he's definitely believable as a like kind of stuck-up, annoying botanist guy. I disagree. No, you don't think so. There's huh? one believable role for Bill Pullman. If there was a scarecrow. Who just had to stand in a field and fucking do nothing and have birds land on him? That's a realistic role. I may be coming in too hot on Bill Pullman. Yeah, this is a little hot. What about all the Bill Pullman fans here? Yeah, there, that's them. Do you hear them? That's them right there. Yeah, there's none. Uh, Well, he has made contact with a local shaman, and he plans on using some of the shaman's traditional recipes to create medicine that, in his words, will help many people. The shaman seems fine with this, but he does ask for one thing in return. He wants Bill Pullman to drink something that I'm sure will have no side effects whatsoever. Yeah, we have Bill headed to the Amazon. I was a little confused at first because I was like, why is he in the Amazon when we were just in Haiti? Oh, I thought he was in Haiti right now. I believe he's in a different place. I don't believe he's in Haiti. I think he's visiting a different culture. So he's kind of on this adventure. To get it, though, he has to accept to go on his own kind of spirit quest. He takes that like drink from the shaman there and... He has quite the trip. Oh my god, he starts tripping balls. He wakes up in the jungle where he's chased and attacked by a leopard. Don't worry, though. The leopard turns out to be very friendly and playful. And then he watches the shaman transform into some small creepy guy before getting pulled underground by some corpses or something. This sequence is interesting, but if I'm being honest, pretty low budget. You can definitely see some budget constraints here. I do like the way that he has this transformation, the way that the shaman turns into a different guy. And then when he first has the hand come up through the ground and pull him through, it's effectively Yeah, you were into it. Yeah, Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was good. He emerges from this and wakes up. But when he wakes up, it doesn't appear that anyone's around. No, he's by himself. He decides it's time to get the hell out of there. But when he makes his way back to the helicopter he rented, he finds the pilot dead 
So that's bad, but it doesn't actually stop him from going home, which we see in our next scene as he meets with his bosses at Biocorp, one of whom is Alfred from the Tim Burton Batman movies. Side note here, is it me or does the name Biocorp just inherently sound evil? <laughs> like a- I missed that. I didn't realize it was Biocorp. I think you're also selling our character short here. He walks like 60 miles through the Amazon jungle to get to safety. It kind of makes him a bit of a hero. I think this is why... Oh, my God. No, I'm not saying the character's a hero. I'm saying Biocorp sees him as a hero. They see him as someone who can go and get something for them. And what they want him to get is some zombie shit. What do you know about zombification? Pardon me? Zombification. The process of making zombies. The living dead. Just what I've seen on the light show. He assumes they're joking, but they have evidence that the guy we saw getting buried at the beginning has risen from the grave, and they want to know how. Now, here's my question. Where the hell did they get this evidence? Who do they have in Haiti that's watching random funerals and then finding these reanimated corpses? This seemed like a giant plot hole to me. It's a good question. Um, I assume it made some news. Like, having someone come back to life must draw some kind of news. And this is based on a real story, right? Like, this is based on something that happened in Haiti and does happen in Haiti. Yeah, but I completely disagree with you because, if anything, what we see in this movie is the Haitian people are trying to cover this up. They don't want word of these zombies kind of getting out. I mean, they do want visitors, probably. Uh, tourism. <laughs> you don't get tourists. Hey, we've got an island full of zombies. Yeah, no. Come on true. over. Well, that's what I'm saying. So they probably don't want that to be spread too widely. You're right on that. Um, Knowing that this is based on a real person who went and studied what was happening in Haiti at the time, obviously that information either came through the medical community, like maybe some of the doctors who were there volunteering and working and helping sent this back. This kind of got to be the I don't know. I think you're making a lot of excuses here for this. But either way, Bill Pullman travels to Haiti where he connects with a local doctor named Marielle to make some inquiries about the whole zombie thing. Turns out she knows all about it. In fact, she's got one of the zombies there in her clinic. This one is somewhat comatose, like the lights are on but nobody's home, but apparently the guy Biocorp knows about, Kristoff is his name, has retained his consciousness or is at least able to talk. So I guess that explains how they found out. He probably just fucking called them. <laughs> you think he called Biocorp? He's like, hey, Kristoff yeah. here. Uh, I'm a zombie and I think you should know that I got some shit to say. I don't know. It's interesting. So she works at basically a mental institution, right? A place where people are getting help. And the one patient there, like you said, is a zombie. The other one, though, she seems to know Kristoff. And so their mission now becomes, how do we go find and talk to this guy? We need some info on how he became one. Yeah, so she takes Bill Pullman to someone who might have answers. It's a voodoo priest slash nightclub owner by the name of Lucienne Celine. And they talk business over drinks at his club while they take in a dance performance. Things take a couple of strange turns here. Bill Pullman spots the creepy guy from his hallucination in the crowd, and then Marielle seemingly gets possessed when a guy blows something in her face. Not only does she begin dancing wildly, but she slinks over to Bill Pullman and starts grinding on him. But before he can blow something in her face, one of the other dancers flips out and goes to attack her with a machete. <laughs> I was I was hoping you'd kind of go here. Um, I described her as a hot doctor in my notes, too. She's an attractive woman. Um, and the powder that goes in her face sort of sends her into a trance and dance. 
And it seems like the other guy is affected too. But the creepy guy from his dream is impacting the way this guy's acting. And he gets violent and goes after our hot dog. Yeah, man. The guy you're talking about starts like clanging on a glass with his spoon. He's going to make a fucking wedding toast. And all of a sudden, this one male dancer freaks out, grabs a machete and lunges for her. But man of action, Bill Pullman (laughs) springs up here, breaks a liquor bottle over the guy's head. And then Lucy and Celine like puts a little like a sheet over his head, just taps his forehead and he goes down. Celine was also a voodoo like priest. So he has slash nightclub owner. Yeah. He's got got a tourist trap and he's good with voodoo, right? He, you got to diversify. I think in today's economy, it was necessary for him to (laughs) have his fingers in a lot of ponds. Uh, He just had to make sure that uh, he was getting his. Uh, It is strange here. You can tell now, or they're starting to line up that this character who shows up, we find out later he's involved with sort of the political orientation of Haiti, or at least the police force. He is our villain, or he's shaping up to be our villain very quickly here. He didn't want the doctor to maybe share this information with Alan, it seems. And so it doesn't seem like it's going to be a simple mission for our doctor and for Alan to find what they want here. No, definitely not. In fact, this visit to Celine's club was kind of a dead end. So they start exploring Kristoff's village, eventually ending up in the cemetery we saw earlier. But it turns out that grave robbers are a common thing in these parts. And Bill Pullman gets so startled that he's a pratfall down a hill and makes a perfect landing in a coffin, dead center. Jesus Christ. Yeah, we get a jump scare here, which sends him back. And he does that, like, backwards roll right into the coffin on top of the corpse. We get a great, like, ah, I found the corpse yell, which is really (laughs) cheesy. Um, But yeah, it's pretty convenient that this happens, but I had a good laugh at it. Oh, it's very comedic, yeah. Yeah, it definitely wasn't scary at this moment. The jump scare, you sort of like came out of nowhere, but in terms of what happens after, there's a lot of funniness to that. For sure. Now, he's angry, mostly out of embarrassment, I guess. Plus, he's probably frustrated from not sealing the deal with Marielle when she was all possessed earlier. So he lashes out, basically saying the whole zombie thing is bullshit, and she's just scamming him to get money for her clinic. Her response to this is pretty great. The way Professor Schoenbacher spoke of you, it was as though you could walk on water. Now I know why. Shit floats. I like that. That was good. (laughs) It was a good line. Uh, I like that she called him shit. Very quickly, though, the tide turns for both of them. Before we're even out of this cemetery, he fully believes again. Well, yeah, because she storms off and he goes to chase her. And wouldn't you know it, he runs right into Kristoff. That guy looks good. He's pretty (laughs) all right. (laughs) I mean, for someone being buried alive, it it works. Um, He has some memory of what happened he's definitely traumatized but he's going to uh share a little bit with our doc oh god yeah and his story is pretty harrowing he says he remembers everything the sickness his death the coffin according to him the one who made him like this did it with a weapon and they took his soul bill pullman wants to bring him in to run some tests but marielle says they can't and either way Kristoff does not seem interested his place is here now in the cemetery This is where he belongs. He doesn't want to go back and be used as a tool. I think he even says it's that creepy cop guy who was the one who sort of took his soul. So we know that that guy's involved with it. He also describes a powder being sort of thrown on him. And now our Alan character is starting to get a sense of, hmm, I'm wondering how this happened. Where did this powder come from? Yeah, this might actually be a real thing. Bill Pullman is due for some rest after that ordeal, but when he returns to his hotel, he finds drawings on the wall made with what appears to be blood, and we see the shadowy figure of someone with a sword. 
Pullman escapes by jumping off his balcony in the least exciting way possible, and after quickly grabbing Marielle, they head right for Lucienne looking for answers. It was definitely blood that made it, because there was a slaughtered pig hanging from his ceiling, too, that was a part of this process. It's obviously a threat to him. He knows that people don't want him to be doing this, or at least there are some people who don't want to. He doesn't really take the hint, though. This Alan character is like, uh, you can't scare me off that easily. He's very stubborn. Typical white privilege. He thinks he's entitled to his run of the whole island. Just fucking, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Now, it takes some cajoling, but Lucien eventually points them towards a cockfighting ring. The guy running it is named Mozart. He plays coy, trying to sell them someone's soul for $100 along with some kind of voodoo spell. But Bill Pullman just wants the zombie powder. This guy isn't going to play ball, though, until Pullman drops Lucien's name, which gets him to admit that, okay, he's got some powder, and he can sell him a small vial for the low, low price of $500, which is actually pretty, like, lower than I expected. Yeah, he started at 1000 and then he got negotiated down to 500 but that is a lot less than you would think if it was something that uh, made someone appear to be dead. Bill Pullman wants some proof, though, so what, what does he do? Well, uh, Mozart gives the powder to a goat, and the goat appears to die. But uh, that's not good enough. Bill Pullman has to see the goat revived. So the plan is to come back tomorrow to see if it comes back to life. But I was thinking this whole time, like, what's going to stop this guy from just bringing in a second goat? Would you be able to tell the difference? Like this goat had particularly discerning features. Well, that's why Bill Pullman used his knife to mark the hoof of the first Oh, goat. did yeah, I miss that. You're really fucking dialed into this movie, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Bill Pullman's thinking the same thing as you. So he, he marks... Not his first rodeo. No, he no. knows. He's been tricked before. So he marks the hoof of the first goat. And when he comes back the next day, he's going to know what to look for to see if he's being swindled or does this powder really work? Well, we're going to find that out in a minute. But until then, they cannot go back to Bill Pullman's hotel. So instead, they spend some time in a local village where Marielle schools Bill Pullman on the connection between voodoo and Catholicism. I guess there aren't any hotels in this village because they end up sleeping outside some kind of big communal slumber party. How's that turn out for old Bill Pullman? It's fine. Like, he's happy falling asleep beside her. <laughs> well, hold second. on, hold on. We don't know at the time whether it's a dream or not. He wakes up and things start to go sideways for him. The first thing we see is a serpent. So we're getting our first introduction of a serpent here. We kind of see it slither over to him. And we think it's going to be on him. But then we see him wake up. When he wakes up, he sees Kristoff. He sees that man he met in the cemetery. And with Kristoff is what looks like a bride. But she does not look well. She's covered. She's got a veil, but her hands are reaching out and she heads towards him. And then all of a sudden, he kind of gets bold. He raises her veil. What happens when he raises her veil? Oh, he sees a horribly decayed face and she pulls her mouth like super wide open. And that same serpent from earlier jumps out of her mouth and like it tries to latch itself onto his face. Jump scare. Bites his jaw. It's actually was a pretty entertaining jump scare. It was kind of cool. I think it's actually one of the images from the cover of the Blu-ray you have. The face is for sure, yeah. Now that bad night turns into a good morning as Pullman ends up banging Marielle during a visit to a cave that contains healing waters. You think he packed a condom in his travel bag or? (laughs) Absolutely not. That was definitely a dog experience. I think it was clear that he uh, wasn't bagging up because the pleasure on both their faces was pretty extreme. Yeah, this sex scene is slow but surprisingly erotic and it is all thanks to the actress playing Marielle. She's doing all the heavy lifting while Bill Pullman just lies there with the same blank expression he always has. But hey, you can't make a swirl without vanilla, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, Bill has a gentle O face. It's true. He doesn't he doesn't give too much effort. He doesn't in fucking move. He does yell once for her to put her weight on it, which I thought was he good. He does not do not invoke the name of Rudy Amor <laughs> like that. Uh, <laughs> this uh this calm morning gives way to a chaotic night as we see the country has plunged into revolution and the government has even declared martial law. And as Bill Pullman travels around in the next couple of scenes, we see that the people of Haiti are reacting to this in very different ways. Yeah, it's a strange time for sure, right? There's the sort of military and police force taking over politically or they're trying to take over the people, some of the people are very much against this and others are not. We also learn here that the person who was zombified used to be a teacher and that he was also a bit of a political activist. So we're wondering if there's maybe a political motivation for him getting zombified in the first place here. Ooh, yeah, conspiracy. Now, Pullman gets pulled in and questioned by that same guy from his hallucination at the start of the movie and the dance performance scene. His name is Petro, and I guess he's some kind of high-ranking official, like you said earlier. This informal interrogation is really just an attempt to scare Bill Pullman off, but... We know he's not leaving with the powder, so he travels back to the village with the cockfighting ring. Now, unlike the place we just saw full of violence and police aggression, this area is basically celebrating with people singing, dancing, and drinking. Now, of course, Mozart is happy to see Bill Pullman and triumphantly shows him the goat, risen from the dead. Or has it? Yeah, not so much. (laughs) I want to go back quickly just to that little interrogation. It's interesting because the person who's doing it is very concerned that he's there on behalf of the American government trying to intervene in the coup. Yeah, man, he mentions a return to slavery as a possibility. Yeah, he doesn't want the Americans at all involved in that. He even names another island that kind of fell under that same banner, which is interesting. But let's head back to the goat. He goes to check out this goat. There is definitely a goat that looks the same, but he checks underneath at the paw, and what does he figure out? Well, yeah, he knows this is not the goat from before, but he still goes to pay Mozart. However, the tone of their conversation quickly takes a turn. You see, even in America, they know me, and they come for my work. (laughs) (laughs) You're an idiot. My pal does work. Maybe I cast a spell on you. You wanna know what I think of your powders? And then he dumps the guy's whole thing of powder into his drink and chugs it, which is patently insane. Like, I don't care what your hunch is or how much you know about chemicals. This is a completely unnecessary risk, and everyone thinks so. Yes, and as people watching it, we are curious. It's sort of building the tension here. Did he just fucking kill himself? We assume the goat from the day before died from the powder it consumed. Otherwise, he would have. definitely did. He would have shown us and brought it back. So we're like, what the fuck is Bill doing? Uh, But we're going to find out soon that there's more to this anthropologist than meets the eye. Oh, that's for sure. Turns out Bill Pullman is crazy like a fox as he switched out the powder using close-up magic. (laughs) He shows Mariella's skills by putting a coin in her hand and making it disappear. But none of this explains how he pulled off his greatest magic trick, pulling out a giant wad of cash in that cockfighting bar without getting robbed and murdered. Yeah, he pulls out what must be, I don't know. He's got like like 10 grand. Yeah, and he pulls out $500 bills and lays them down like it's nothing. Why is this guy negotiating between $500 and $1,000 when he has all of the money in his pocket? Well, I mean, you still want to negotiate. My question is, why aren't the impoverished people of Haiti just fucking skinning him and taking the cash? I don't, that's a good question, too. I don't know. Maybe they feel like he can buy the protection 
Or maybe they don't want to cross the Mozart character because he seems to be the one in charge of this place. I mean, maybe. Either way, Mozart, knowing that he underestimated Bill Pullman, comes out and offers him the real powder this time. No tricks. There's one condition, though. Bill Pullman has to make the powder with him. And so we return to the cemetery where they dig up a very decomposed body, one that looks a lot like the one from his bad dream earlier. They get the body out of there, and afterwards, Marielle takes Bill Pullman back to her place to grab a new shirt, because I guess his smells like dead people. Uh, hopefully, she grabs him some new underwear, too, because after our next scene, he's probably going to need it. God damn it. He will definitely need it. When they arrive at her place, after spending the night digging up that corpse bride that he'd seen in his one trip earlier, um, they get accosted by the police again. He kind of gets knocked out by the guy with the big... Uh, sideburns. There's one cop that kind of looks... Fuck, that dude's facial hair is incredible. It's pretty fucking sweet. So he knocks him out with a, with the butt of his gun and they drag him off. He wakes up this time and this is not so subtle an interrogation. It is not as friendly as the last time he was at the headquarters of this sort of police force. No, he's strapped naked to a torture chair and uh, Petro is very menacing here. Pullman starts pleading for his life. He tries to play the but I'm a U.S. citizen card. And Petro tells him there's no ambassador here. So instead, Pullman tries to offer him money. But unfortunately for him, a very sweaty Petro tells him, I don't want money. Yeah. What do you want? I want to hear you scream. And he hammers a giant nail into his ball bag. God damn. <laughs> Yeah, this is quite the effective uh, torture scene here. The fact that he's naked, he's tied up, and it's like real tight on his throat. He's almost having trouble speaking. His forehead's also wrapped up there. So he is like really, really worried, clearly. What are they going to do? Are they going to kill him? They don't tell us right away what's happening. It straight up looks like he hammers this giant nail through his car. <laughs> it does like I had all these questions for you I was like I know you'd seen it once and it was my first time so I'm like did he just get circumcised uh, does he now have <laughs> a was it a Prince Henry or Prince Albert, Prince Albert. does he now have a Prince, <laughs> Prince Henry <laughs> yeah. maybe that's a new thing but instead it was just a giant nail through his ball bag yeah, yeah. he has a quote later that the injury was meant to create fear not damage or something I yeah don't know. so it wasn't meant to really take no. him out if you really wanted to mess with him you'd go right through a testy you just blow one ball out and then he only had or one Jesus. Well, that'd be worse. Yeah. 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 Well, however this goes, they dump him on the street in his fucking tidy whities outside of Marielle's place. And it sure seems like he should get the hell out of town. But a combination of scientific curiosity and the thought of how this powder could be used to help others means he's not going anywhere. In fact, the very next scene we see is he and Mozart making the powder, while even Mozart is like, you're a crazy motherfucker. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> it is quite the ordeal to create this stuff. There's the dried out pufferfish, which I think is key here to getting some of those neurotoxins. There's a live toad or frog, yep. which I think also it plays a part in that. They need something from the corpse. Yeah. They, also various herbs and spices, they say. Yeah, they smash the skull off of the corpse bride and grab some of that. So it's just this ridiculous combination of things that make this zombie powder this could be revolutionary, though, for the sort of health industry if they can bring it back and figure out what's happening here. Yeah, which, like, Mozart is surprisingly cool. He's like, yeah, just give me the credit. It reminds me of fucking Ed Harris in uh, National Treasure. I'm like, dude, they're going to make a billion dollars off this. Get some fucking copyright going or something. Yeah, he probably should be getting paid more than the $1,000 he's going to be getting for this uh, creation that he has. But, you know, yeah, he just wants to be famous. He doesn't care about the cash. Yeah. 
Now, I guess this pattern takes a couple of days to form, so Bill Pullman's got to hide out in Marielle's beach house. I guess she has a beach house. And to say this goes badly would be a huge understatement. After more bad dreams, including one where he's trapped in a coffin as it slowly fills up with blood, that was pretty creepy, Bill Pullman wakes up to find himself in bed with a naked woman who is definitely not Marielle and whose head has been completely severed from her body. And lest we think this is still part of the dream, the Haitian cops bust in like the goddamn Kool-Aid man to arrest him for murder. Yeah, lots of through the walls too. Yeah, they busted down all of the windows of this shack. One of them's taken a whole bunch of pictures, so they have evidence of this here. It turns out this is Kristoff's sister. Oh, well, it was Kristoff's sister. Yeah, which, I, I mean, obviously the cops or that political group are angry at Kristoff for, like, sharing some of this information and his sister for talking to. But this does not look good for our Alan character. Now there is created evidence of him murdering a woman after sleeping with her. And having sex with her corpse. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's a pretty standard. Is uh, you know, you can certainly claim that. Who's going to disprove it at this point? Oh God, Jesus! I, I, I didn't even that never even came to you mind. You think they for milked me. him to like get some of his <laughs> in her vagina? <laughs> Oh my God. No, I pictured him Just murdering her after having sex with her, not first. I, I don't know. You've, so, you've really gone the cleanest way possible with it. Yeah, I yeah, assumed that, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so this could go very, very dark for him. Is he in trouble? Is he about to get tried for murder? Yes. Of course we know that Petro is behind this, and he basically gives Bill Poland an ultimatum. Leave the country right now or be tried for murder, convicted, and put to death. It seems like he still doesn't want to go, but Marielle is like, what are you thinking right now? Get the fuck out of here. So we can assume he's finally going to make a smart choice. Petro can't resist twisting the knife on his way out the door, though, as he asks him. By the way, Dr. Allen, what did you dream about this afternoon? The woman in your arms? The sea at your doorstep? No. You dreamt of me and of the grave. I know because I was there. And I can be there every time you close your eyes. The pain I cause you in the room upstairs is nothing to the pain I can cause in your own mind. Haunting. Yes, and he plans on haunting his dreams, right? He is not going to let this go. It's interesting, though, because Alan clearly is not there to help create some kind of political coup. Mm-mm. Like, he has figured this out by now that Alan is not a political threat. Why is he such a problem for him? I couldn't figure that out at this point. I think he doesn't want the knowledge of the fucking voodoo stuff and the zombie stuff getting out. Because, let's be honest here, it is a fairly dark art. Like, that would draw a lot of attention, probably mm-hmm. unwanted. And and it seems like he's using it effectively to help wield political power. Fuck, he's got himself in a great position. Yeah, so he probably wants to keep that private. I'm guessing that's more his motivation now. He knows that he is a threat to that kind of power. But it was interesting to see that transition of motives for our sort of villain character here. So they actually drag him to the plane by gunpoint. Oh, yeah, they are not fucking around here. They drag him onto the plane and sit him down at gunpoint. But they did not do a great job of vetting the crew as Mozart slides into the seat beside Bill Pullman to hand him a bottle of the powder. Now, Pullman can't pay him since Petro took all of his money, but Mozart says to take it anyway. Just make sure to tell his bosses about him. He does take Pullman's watch, though, just so he isn't leaving completely empty-handed. I like that. (laughs) It was a nice little touch there, right? Have a little souvenir. Uh, I don't know if it was a nice watch or not. It definitely wasn't worth it. Oh, it's probably pretty good. I don't know. So Mozart heads off. He goes back to the crew area and leaves the plane. Um, and our doctor heads back to America. And that powder is now going to be used to help thousands and thousands of people instead of traditional anesthesia, right? 
Yeah, movie over. It's all good. Like, look at <laughs> No. Pullman's got the power and he made it out of Haiti, but there's still more to come. As back in America, he analyzes the powder and discovers that it does, in fact, completely shut down the body, but only for 12 hours. Then they would wake up buried underground, clawing and screaming for air. Except dead to buried in 12 hours is pretty fast, right? They don't have morgues in the 80s. Same day funerals. Was that a thing? Well, yeah, 12 hours is really fast. There's no way you're getting buried in that time. Not, Not in this fucking country. No. <laughs> oh, God, no. It would take, it, it often will take days to weeks before those kind of things can go down. So, also, what are they trying to use this for again? Anesthetic? Yeah, that's the interesting part, right? Is they want to try to use it as a like gentler form of anesthetic because there's lots of people who die from anesthetic shock. What's very creepy about it, though, is although you are. A appear to be dead you're not breathing and don't you have feel a heartbeat. everything yeah you sense a terrible and feel everything that would be awful imagine going through like a brain surgery and feeling God all damn. of that yeah no thank you well either way this has clearly worked out and bill pullman should be celebrating but as we see at a dinner party at his boss's house he remains haunted by everything he experienced in haiti not only that but marielle hasn't been returning his calls and he's worried something might have happened to her he is clearly going through a lot here, but I just hope that none of it affects this dinner party. <laughs> so I actually really like this effect. He starts clearly tripping out. He's having some issues. When he looks down at his soup, we see a like decomposed hand crawl out of it and then sneak back into it. This effect was not great. I liked it. It was not great. Come on. Uh, it's very low budget. It wasn't high budget, but I thought it was effective. Like, I thought it was a cool, like, clearly there's, like, a way that it's coming through the table or they're able to, like, pull it back. But I thought it was good. It disappears into the soup and the soup settles. The wife asks him if something's wrong, if he needs a new, like, soup or a different appetizer. And he just says that he's been having some stomach issues since being away. And, Makes you know, sense. A lot of traveling. Explain the this travel bugs, which is kind of funny. I thought it was weird because she has a black servant come and remove Is he his from Haiti? food. And it, and it felt very slavery adjacent, right? Like it was, it did not feel good. Um, and I wonder if that was like a part of the messaging of the movie. And I think intentionally so. Like they made that choice on purpose. Oh, like, there's a heavy colonial element yeah, to all of this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? That that's part of there. But very quickly that disappears. Uh, like that part <laughs> of my thinking disappears as... The boss's wife looks at him and decides to bite down on her wine glass. <laughs> she literally cracks it and starts eating glass. Totally normal behavior. For totally <laughs> normal. And we've kind of seen this possession behavior before when we're at that um, that very first dance sequence, right? At the bar of our... Do you think swimming. she got dusted? Well, even if she didn't get dusted... Angel dust? Yeah. Attack the whack. <laughs> <laughs> All these throwbacks to our black yeah, movies. I was going to say, this like it. Godfather, like it. yeah. it's coming full circle. That's very good. Um, so she gets onto the table, grabs a knife, and tries to slash at Alan, like cutting him across the forehead. Everyone manages to tackle her before she can finish him off, but the threat is real here. Alan knows he's in trouble. Yeah, so after his boss's wife bites through a wine glass, curses him out in a demonic voice, and tries to slash his throat, Bill Pullman decides maybe he's got some unfinished business, so he decides to return to Haiti. This seems like a bad idea, and sure enough, some guys grab him the second he gets off the plane. But it turns out they aren't Petro's goons. His old friend Lucienne has pulled a switcheroo in order to get him out safely. Or in, I guess. Yeah, it's a bold move heading back. But I guess if you know that you're going to be hunted either 
through possession or in your dreams, you need to go and resolve the issues you have with a Haitian voodoo master police chief, dude. Yeah, that old uh, tro- <laughs> trove of wisdom. You know, <laughs> don't fuck around with it's the a- <laughs> voodoo master police chief. It's dude. a parable as old as time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how is he going to achieve this? Is my question as he gets back here. How is he going to find a way to stop this? Well, it's not going to be easy. Lucien tries to prepare Bill Pullman as best he can by marking him with a couple of blood crosses, which will theoretically provide him some protection, but only some from Petro's magic. Maybe someone should have drawn a couple of those on old Mozart as we cut to a scene of him getting his head cut off in what can only be considered a sad end. I shouldn't say that, though, because as Lucien tells Bill Pullman before sending him on his way. Remember, whatever happens, death is not the end. And then he fucking dies. Petro just settling all the scores here. Yeah, there is a lot of death uh, starting to pile up in this story. We see Mozart taken down. The guy with those sweet chops cuts off his head with this crazy sword. Um, and then we there can be only one. Yeah, <laughs> it really. Highlander, man. It did feel that way. And then Petro drinks his blood. Oh I, yeah. I guess this is the way to sort of consume the soul. We also see a bunch of soldiers, one of them containing something that belonged to him. The death here for Celine is pretty graphic, and. Fairly well acted and affected. So the only actor in this I recognize besides Bill Pullman, and I guess the guy who played fucking Alfred, was this guy. It's Paul Winfield, who I think might be Canadian. Oh. He is known for a lot of things, possibly best known for his role in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Ah. So when I saw him, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, Paul Winfield. And then, like, his acting in this is solid, like you said. He's, you know, he starts coughing, hacking, blood's coming up. He's got the eyes bugging out as he dies. And then a fucking scorpion crawls out of his mouth, which was creepy as fuck. Yeah, this one's pretty rough. It It is very graphic seeing the scorpion come out of his mouth. While our Alan character is taking this all in, his friend, the guy who kind of like been helping him here in Haiti, he pulls him out of the airport. He fucking gets the zombie dust blown in his face. Well, I was going to say, he doesn't have much time to dwell on it. He turns right into a face full of powder. Dude just blows it all over him. <laughs> and he staggers through the village streets begging for help. But oh. the word is out here and no one is going to touch Bill Pullman. Still, he makes one last desperate attempt before blacking out, telling some of the town folk, Don't let them bury me. I'm not dead. Good luck convincing the white doctors of that there, Chief. I mean, if you had that much blown all over your face, your eyes would be blurry and you'd be wandering through the streets like Nobody that Nobody would be too. talking to me either, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be a similar problem. Um, But I don't know that you would die. I think you could wipe it off and move on with your life. In this case, our Alan character appears dead. He's at what you can only assume is sort of the Catholic hospital because there's a nun nurse there and the doctor. And they, they say to write a time on his tag, say that he's dead. But who slides in right after they're sort of pronouncing him here? Oh, Petro's there. They, they say they have to make some paperwork with the embassy, let them know that a U.S. citizen has died. And Petro's like, no, don't worry about it. I got this. And just like he promised, they bury Bill Pullman after first throwing a tarantula in the coffin to keep him company and also telling him they're going to cut off Mariel's head as an offering to their voodoo god. Dude sees and hears all of this and is powerless to stop it. And sure enough, Bill Pullman wakes up in the pitch black coffin screaming for air just like he described himself earlier in the movie. Luckily for him, someone hears the screaming and digs him up. It's Kristoff. And I have to say, bad job by Petro here. They buried him like one foot deep. You put him six feet under and no one is ever going to hear him. It's a lot of digging. 
uh, to get that deep. But Still, uh, you want to yeah. do this right, or do you want to fucking do it fast? I guess that's fair. Um, this is definitely a very eerie and interesting kind of section of the movie. They're building a lot of tension for sure. A lot of POV shots from the sort of paralyzed but awake yet dead Yeah, Alan. the body's kind of over him, hovering, yeah. We get a lot of those shots, and they work reasonably well. The burying is pretty creepy. The shot of the tarantula crawling across his face and over his eye is very effective. I, I bet a lot of people were squirming at that one in the movie theater. Fuck, I know I was. So so really well done here, um, but he wakes up screaming. He won't have long, right? If you're buried alive, you're not going to be able to stay in there that long. Not a lot of oxygen, but thankfully, like you said, Kristoff was there to hear him, and unburies him he kind of like dog digs it all out right he like reaches down and pulls it all out with his hands through his legs and helps our main character alan break out of here but he is not okay no he's definitely not but he is out and that night petro and his men prepare to cut off mariel's head but the revolution has intensified in the country and it interrupts what should be a pretty routine head chopping meanwhile an especially pasty bill pullman staggers through the streets desperate to save mariel but either this powder has thoroughly fucked up his brain or Petro should be in charge of designing haunted houses for a living because he sees and hears all kinds of terrifying shit and also some pretty low budget effects. Yeah, yeah, this section is interesting, right? Pullman is fucked up. He's clearly still tripping balls. That, like you said, assassination or chopping off of her head gets stopped because of almost a general rioting, right? It seems like Petro's power is in trouble here. All of the people are rising up in the streets and they're not going to have the police force sort of dictate how they live anymore. Is she going to make it out and what's going to happen with our Pullman character here? Well, after falling down some weird sideways staircase, Bill Pullman picks himself up and sneaks into a room looking for Mario, but he finds Petro, or rather, Petro finds him literally flying across the room to tackle him. So dude just has superpowers now? Yeah, this is hilarious, right? We have some interesting hallucination effects as he's getting there. As he's moving through the building, things start moving on their own, and he also has a lot of prisoner long arms coming up. They're clearly having a lot of fun with the hallucinations they're giving him. When they get into this sort of big boss fight at the end, it was really confusing to me how much powers Petro had. You're Like you said, he kind of flies across the room, and then he also demonstrates super strength and acid hands. Yeah, he's going to like melt Bill Pullman's face or something, but Marielle smashes a soul jar that I guess contains uh, Lucienne's soul, which infuses Bill Pullman with the awesome power of the leopard. We get like a cloud-shaped, superimposed leopard image floating in front of Bill Pullman, and suddenly Petro is afraid of him. He tries to run away, but Pullman throws him into a shelf containing a bunch of other jars. They all break too, and now more souls of Petro's victims are escaping. What do you think of these soul effects? <laughs> oh my god, after they recognize that smashing these is working, you see them start smashing all of the jars. And when each one gets smashed, you have these tiny spermazoa. <laughs> Come out of the jars and start swimming their way to our Pato character. We're getting early animation stuff here, right? It's all being superimposed over the screen or the film. And what happens when they get to him? Oh, once they touch him, his whole body bursts into flames. And it made me wonder, is this whole thing just a message about homophobia? <laughs> oh, seriously, think about it, man. Fucking this guy, everyone's blowing stuff on people's faces. And now he's uh, bursting into flames because he touched some semen. 
Yeah, this is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is. Um, so he bursts into flames, and now Petru's gone. Like, that part. Well, no, been no, resolved. no. Hang on. He stumbles around for a few seconds and then collapses onto a pile of skulls, and then his body seemingly disintegrates. And it sure seems like everything's over, but there's one more thing Bill Pullman needs to do smash the chair where he got his balls nailed. He goes to do it, but of course Pichero isn't dead yet. An extra crispy version of him flies in through a wall to attack Pullman again. Yeah, we've got a spirit battle of some kind here. Now Petro's body is gone, but his soul or body is still trapped in this space, and so we have a hallucination fight now. You think it's a hallucination, not real? His face is all charred up and stuff? Well, because very quickly after it ends, they transition to an empty room and the doctor not seeing any of it, right? Oh, spoilers. Well, yeah, of course. We're, so, we're like 30 seconds yeah, away yeah, from yeah. that. We, we get the battle. They are like soul battling around. But what we see is that Alan character can control the objects in the room. Oh, yeah. Pullman is the one with the power now. So he ties Petro to the chair and we get a nice little reversal from earlier. What do you want? I want to hear you scream. No! Yes. And he jams that nail right down into Petro's d- Yeah, we had vengeance d- nailing. I mean, maybe this is a comment about homosexuality. <laughs> I'm telling you. Holy shit. Um, so, there's, there's no chance he went into the scrotum, right? That was a straight dick shot. Oh, yeah. Why would you miss it? This uh, this all ends when Marielle walks in asking Bill Pullman if he's all right. We see, like you said, the space where the chair was empty and no sign of Petro. She tells him the nightmare is over, and they walk outside as we see rainbow clouds swirling around the basement. They join the revolutionaries on the street, and we get a freeze frame. <laughs> With a postscript telling us that the zombie powder and its active ingredient, tetrodotoxin, is currently under intensive scientific study both in Europe and the United States. To this date, the process by which it works remains a mystery. And I don't know about you, but I immediately Googled tetrodotoxin. I absolutely did. I want to know what's going on. I found lots of information about the actual botanist who went and investigated this, right? Who actually went to do it. Davies was his name, I think. It really was based on a true story. Yeah, I mean... This is a book, or it was a book that got created, and then uh, this was written about it. It seemed like all of that happened at a pretty quick timeline, though. Well, yeah, because didn't you say the guy was, like, 1983, and this movie's 1988? That's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, that's really fast. That was when his study was published, the one that had all the evidence. So he probably went there late 70s, like they said in the movie, and, like, started this research and figured it out. It's cool that it's based on some truth, obviously fiction in the way that all of this went down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's got to be a yeah. little bit of, uh, you don't think fucking uh, Professor Davis got his balls nailed? In the <laughs> I don't know. We should ask him. We should have had him on as a special guest. Oh, my God. Uh, is he still alive? I don't know. <laughs> oh, man, it, it, it's interesting for sure. And like, I guess we'll talk in a second. Maybe this is a good point to transition to our ratings because we clearly both have a lot of opinions on this. So... The way we do this every week, we rate this movie on a scale of 1 to 10 two times. 1 to 10 for how bad it is, 1 to 10 for how enjoyable. And the goal is to find movies that are a 10 out of 10 on each scale, or what we call the Crit 20. And I have to say, several parts of this were actually really creepy. Like, a few of the facts were borderline laughable. The hand coming out of the soup, I thought was pretty bad. The whole leopard cloud thing. Also, Petro's makeup at the end when he's all burned up. But overall, I thought uh, they did a really good job of creating scary situations here. This did feel a bit slow, though. Like, other than Bill Pullman's hallucination at the very start, it takes us a while to kind of get to those creepy parts. I almost feel like the screeners knew this, which is why they kept putting in the dream sequences. But realistically, this thing doesn't really get going until the final act. 
Um, speaking of Bill Pullman, I am glad the experiment of making him the lead in movies ended in the mid nineties. Cause he just does not have it. Like when I think of popular movies, he's a part of Spaceballs, independence day. He is routinely the worst part of them. Just a nondescript bland milk toast guy. I also really did not like the narration part and not just because it's Bill Pullman. Whenever I hear a narrator in movies, I kind of just inherently groan. But overall, I thought the movie did a good job for what it was. Definitely not the usual thing I think of when I think of Wes Craven, like I already said. I don't have it anywhere near a 10. For me, this is only a six bad. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so for me, my biggest complaint, um, my very first bullet was Pullman leading man. Yep. See, <laughs> he's not strong. He does not carry it um, at all. It just does not bring enough to this. So uh, that one was kind of a takeaway for me. I felt the other actors around him did a much better job. Some of the effects, in particular, the spirit effects were, like, <laughs> poor. Yeah. Um, I thought there was some overacting areas. With, like, there was a few, especially with our patrol character. Oh, really? Okay, Just on yeah. occasion, just went a little far for me. And then I had a hard time placing this as a genre. Yeah, that's like, fair. I didn't know throughout it what I was watching. Um, in some ways, I expected a horror movie because it was Wes Craven, but it was not that i feel it kind of turns into one at the end yeah but before very... that it's almost more like an adventure movie yeah. or like a, yeah and it's sort of like what kind of adventure are we on that being said there was lots to like but i guess I'll, I'll finish my bad rating <laughs> and this is not going to be very interesting because i also had it as a six fuck man yeah that i know i hate sometimes. when that happens but uh i guess this is when we both didn't know a ton about i thought they did a really good job with a lot of it i thought the timing was cool cinematography had some good choices yes i agree with that yeah. right sound and music didn't stand out uh there was some funny like laughter back effects when some of the stuff was happening that i thought was good like effective but i i thought overall it wasn't that bad a movie no, I agree. How enjoyable did you find it, though, on a scale of 1 to 10? Yeah, I like the tone. I liked a lot of the effects. I liked the location. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. done really well. It felt authentic. It, we, we did a little bit of research. It did start in Haiti, but they had to move. Because uh, of legitimate political unrest. So, the, again, this is connected to actual real-world history. Which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I thought the villain, he did a good job overall. Yes. I thought the patrol character was quite good. I laughed a lot at the final battle, but that added some enjoyability to me. That weird, like, spirit superhero battle at the end between <laughs> our two characters. Yeah. So I, I liked it. I, I had it as an eight enjoyable. Yeah, man. I am right there with you. I really liked the mood. Like you said, the tone, the overall atmosphere of not just the creepy nighttime voodoo scenes, but also the kind of, like, vibrant daytime stuff in the villages. I thought the historic connection here was interesting. This it was, in fact, somewhat based on a true story. That was cool. Some of the effects, like I mentioned already, were decent. There were definitely some creepy moments. Other than Bill Pullman, I thought the acting was actually pretty good as well. The girl who played Marielle, not just because the sex scene was pretty solid. Also, <laughs> but the that guy, didn't hurt, right? It, that did, didn't it hurt. did not hurt. Yeah, yeah. Also, the guy who played Petro was fucking great. I don't think I've ever seen this dude before, and I was all in his performance here. Now, the pacing was a bit slow, but this thing held my interest the whole way. And other than the narration and having Pullman in the lead, there isn't a lot that I would really change here. So I had this as an 8 for enjoyable also. Or rather, I would have it as an 8, but with the inclusion of the freeze frame, I'm going to bump this up to a 9. I really enjoyed this and will definitely watch it again. Nice. So we, we fell... Real similar on our ratings here, for sure. I, that's pretty cool that we felt the same way about it. It's it's awesome that we found this because of a beer request. Yeah, that was really cool. I'm glad that we watched this instead of Live and Let Die. Live and Let Die is still great. We had a good time with that. But like having seen something I've never seen before, always a good time. 
So what about the beer, though? Our Voodoo Ranger. So we knew going in, this was not my kind of beer. And uh, like, really, you should be the one talking about this more than me. But I will say, when I think of IPAs, this tastes to me like an IPA would taste like. I feel like IPA lovers probably enjoy this. I can see why it's a popular IPA amongst that kind of crowd. Would I ever drink it again? Almost certainly not. Did I mind having to drink it today? Not really. It was like, you know, if knowing I had to have an IPA, there's a lot worse, a lot worse offerings out there. This would be on the higher end for me, so I thought it was good. What about you? That is incredibly high praise. There was like a glint <laughs> in your eye there. You said you don't want to drink it again, but if you had to drink an IPA, you would. Uh, I quite liked it. It was uh, really clean. I definitely get the tropical notes um, on the palate when you start, but then transitions nicely into the bitterness, but then also has a really clean finish. Some IPAs can have a really long, lingering bitter finish. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, and this one does not touch that. I thought that the New Belgium recipe is really, really good. I think it's interesting that it's made by the people at Steam Whistle Brewing. They were our very first episode. We drank the traditional Steam Whistle for Pilsner. For Commando, yeah. Yeah, for Commando. And, and you shit all over it. Yeah, well, this is probably the best thing that I have ever put in my mouth that's come out of that brewery. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Um... Thank you so much to What Opened Today for the beer request. We absolutely love that and would love to see more of those. Hopefully, you can feature this movie on your page Yeah, at some let us point. know what day this fucking opened. Come on. Yeah, let's do it. Might not make that connection, but I, ap- I appreciate this also. Thanks for that suggestion. A lot of fun. And cool to do it the other way around for a change. Instead of matching the beer with the movie, we're matching the movie with the beer. I like that. Yeah, I want more of those. I like those kind of, if you can find this beer, find That's a movie. It's so hard, though, because we're in Canada. You can't find all the beers. That's the problem. That is the tough one when our American listeners or friends uh, suggest them. But that's why we go for road trips and see what we can bring back. Absolutely. Now, next week, speaking of bringing things back, we're going to be watching a sequel next week to one of the most uh, beloved comedies of all time. Next week, we're going to be watching Caddyshack 2. <laughs> what? Yeah. I don't even know they made a second one. <laughs> they did. And I will tell you, right? you've seen Caddyshack, obviously. Yes. Yeah, yeah, this is a significant downgrade. Are the same people back? Some of them. Not okay. most of them, but right. some. You know what? It'll be lighter fare than what we discussed today, although perhaps we'll both be more angry for having had to watch it. But to help round things out, we're going to have a very special guest next week as well. Oh, who? One of our close friends who is an avid golfer and also a rich guy is going to come in and give, <laughs> give us a uh, a perspective from the upper class on the merits of Caddyshack 2. <laughs> I like it. I like it. This will be good. So we're going to drink uh, some beers next week and watch Caddyshack 2. I'm excited. And we're going to have a special guest. Tune in for that for sure. Absolutely. Before then, if you have not already, please follow us on social media at the BMB podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you want to send us an email, it's the Podcast at gmail.com. Please do. We love to hear from you. Requests like the one we got gave us this wonderful episode today, so keep them coming. And we hope you will join us next week for Caddyshack 2. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep on pulling it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bury me. I'm not dead. <laughs>